People's Poetry Podcast with me, Jimmy Bowman. Hello and welcome to episode two of series five of People's Poetry Podcast. This is the poetry podcast that follows me, Jimmy Bowman, an aspiring poet and teacher alike, as I travel the UK talking to established poets, as well as poets who have just taken their first steps into the world of poetry, as I try to find out why it is we have just such a love affair with poetry in this country. This is a podcast aimed not just at those who already like poetry, but those who've never really considered it before. I want to show you that there's something in the world of poetry written for you. This episode was the second in a double bill on my trip up to Nottingham. So straight after we recorded episode one, I had the pleasure of sitting down with this episode's featured poet, Dan Webber. Had a lot of laughs recording this chat. We talk about Dan's collection, Genre Fluid. We also talk quite a bit about where his work sits in terms of genre, hence the name Genre Fluid, somewhere between comedy and poetry. Talk a lot about labels, dating in 2019, 2020, and mental health. But that's enough from me. Let's hear what Dan had to say. This episode's featured poet is Dan Webber on a sort of double bill in Nottingham. It's turned out all right. I've got to speak to Leanne and then you on the same day. Love that when that happens. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Nice seeing Leanne, nice seeing yourself. Uh, nice to be outside. I know, this is what the we, main was, thing. we were saying, sort of this face-to-face interaction become a bit alien, isn't it? But, <laughs> uh, although you told me this could have been done in Camden, but I won't yes. hold that against no, you. No, no, no. I, I must admit, <laughs> I did think when I got, oh, we could have done this in London, but shamefully hadn't thought of that before. <laughs> before no. seeing you face to face in Nottingham after at least an hour and a half train journey for you surely it's okay I mean this is such a lovely pub that it was worth the hour I and a half you know? you're yet another poet um, that I've discovered through the podcast uh, it was you that contacted me and I, I like to remind just listeners that I absolutely love that because um, you know, I've discovered so many poets that way so thank you for, for getting yeah, in touch thank you for talking to me I really appreciate it so we're going to talk about uh, genre fluid I mean, do I call it a collection? Do I call it a show? Is oh, it a script of the this show? This is the thing, because it's not quite one thing. This is the whole point. It's not quite a book. It's not quite yeah. a show. It's not quite comedy. It's not quite poetry. It is genre fluid. So I always say it's a book and a show. Book and whether and I'm show. promoting the show, it's a show. And when I'm promoting the book, it's a book. So it's a bit of both. Okay, so we'll talk about the book show um, in a moment. But, um, you know, as a regular listener yourself, I, I wanted to start with, um, he, he admitted he's not actually listened to one just yet. That, but. Just that, just <laughs> that. But uh, no, Dan, I, I like to talk to people about um, their journey into poetry. Um, so not when did you start writing poetry, When we, can you remember when you were first aware of poetry? Ooh. And was there like a particular poem or a particular collection that sort of triggered your interest or was it something later in life you fell into? That's a really good question because I'm probably the most unpoety poet going. Mm. Um, my background's comedy and performance so I only really started doing poetry like properly about four or five years ago now. The thing I, be- I think when you said about becoming most aware or first to wear, it's kind of Roald Dahl. It's always been that kind of, again I think not to compare myself to Roald Dahl straight off the bat at all, <laughs> but I think my kind of I really try and mix kind of serious and silly and funny, but with a meaning behind it. And I think, you know, reading kind of Roald Dahl as a kid, I'm a massive fan of Tim Minchin, massive fan of Bill Hicks. I like really wordy comics. You know, I'm a massive fan of Frankie Ball for the same reason. Yes, his his content is always super of everybody, but it's a really nice mix of words and language. I think, yeah, Roald Dahl first off the bat. Uh, Again, background in kind of musical theatre and performance, again, so quite a lyrical mindset. Um, uh, I'm going to say this on on mic and I'm going to kick you for this there is an unpublished novel I have which is never going to see the light of day right. never going to see the light of day um, if you take Lord of the Rings yep. 
and sort of the gunslinger Stephen King epic favorite yeah. book gorgeous and when I was like 19 I was going to be the next Stephen King right okay. and in that finished collection that has never seen a light of day which is basically a rip-off of Lord of the Rings and the gunslinger there is poetry in that okay it's, I didn't realize at the time I was writing but it's kind of just all oh, these little bits and little chunks and little sections and some of the characters sing or have like riddles and rhymes and all that but again poetry um I didn't really start thinking about it properly because there's two things really I was involved in a show uh, goodness, 2009, 2010, where there's beat poetry in the show. So I was writing beat poetry for the show, but again, not really thinking about it as poetry. Yeah. But really, it, it's Twisted Tongues in Derby. Um, Twisted Tongues, it stopped now. We're going to hopefully have one big shebang this year to finish off the run, but it was a spoken word night in Derby. I started going three, four years ago um, after a very messy, cliched breakup. Someone gave me a Jack Daniels and I started writing poetry, and that right. was it. And then it, every month, Twisted Tongues was on last Tuesday of the month, so I'd try and write something to do on the open mic. And as you know yourself, before long, you've got you know five, six, seven poems that are yeah. all right. And then, yeah, that went from sort of... I think that was the first time I kind of went, oh, not that I can do this, because anyone can do it, but, oh, it's people seem to like what I'm writing and I was really blue when I started I was the proper kind of comic trying to be a poet because if you get them laughing you know they're liking it so it's easier in my opinion so yeah I used to be really lewd and really blue and then shifted from that into writing about stuff that I really wanted to write about and now I'm still a little bit naughty but I'm nowhere near as crazy. Uh, there's be. still an element of oh, yeah, that always. There, but yeah. again that's the Frankie Ball that's the Tim Mitchell that's the Bill Hicks that's, mm. that's the influences so my next question was, uh, you know, what triggered the transition into writing? But I think you've answered uh, that. Cliche, messy that. breakup. Yeah. Awful. Uh, um, so uh, Genre Fluid is the first collection, but there was kind of two scratch shows before it. My first show was called Project 28, about surviving the 27 Club. Um, and my second show was called Sweargasm Bingo, but we don't talk about that show because it was terrible. It lasted two <laughs> nights at Leicester Comedy Festival, and my stage manager said, yeah, never does it. I went, I'll do that again, never again. But um, the reason I mention that is because obviously, you know, the first show... It was about me coming out of a long-term relationship, back into the big scary world of online dating especially, mm. and writing poetry to kind of get my head around things that I was experiencing and going through, because at the time, I wasn't very open, I was quite a private person, so, you know, the idea of standing on stage and talking about my mental health or my sexuality would be the last thing I would have done. So by writing it down, I can still talk about it and get it out of my head, but I've not got to let anybody else show it. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and now look at me. <laughs> <laughs> um, one thing reading it, I mean, I know people that aren't that familiar with poetry think this anyway, um, you know, that poetry is very personal, it's very cathartic and, and confessional in places, but genre fluid is very honest, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's frank. It's almost brutally frank sometimes. Yeah, it wasn't intentional. No, but I, I, I think that's great. Thank you. But how... Because, I mean, my biggest regret is not seeing the show because I didn't know about it. And reading the book... And I'm going to get on to the way it's structured in a moment, but it, it does make you feel like you, you've seen the show because of the way it's laid out. Yeah. But obviously I weren't there, so how, how is it to perform something so frank? Like how, was, how was that going down? Um, every night's different, obviously, with yeah. every show. Um, so I was lucky because, I was, like I said, I didn't know I was going to have a book. Uh, Big White Shed and Holloway, who's been amazingly supportive, saw me perform actually in Nottingham about two or three years ago now. And uh, I was stood on the phone after the gig and there was a window between us and she banged on the window and said, don't go anywhere, I need to talk to you. And I was like, oh, okay. And she said, why, why have you not got a book published? Why has no one talked to you? I said, well, because I'm not a poet. I do silly things, it's a bit comedy. Anyway, long story short, we got this book done. Um, I, it's funny, I didn't realise how frank it was until I started touring it 
and then people really reacted to it. I mean, mm. I did a there's a um, festival called the Funny Things Festival, Wolverhampton, hottest day of the year last year. I was there. Um, it was a wonderful gig, but a really, really obviously difficult day because of the heat. And this woman just not in a negative way but it just got really emotional and right. it got I was like you're right she's fine really enjoyed it I spoke to her afterwards and she just said yeah some of the things really resonated with her but I didn't I didn't sort of set out to write a really frank honest book I just set out to write what was in my head but the thing that's really surprised me and I found very difficult is when kind of the books arrived and the show started touring it's losing control of it because I've got mates who've come to see it I've got family who's come to see it I've got family who's read the book who I've never discussed my sexuality with or my own kind of history with okay. and I sit there going don't don't read page 26 or 25 just just skip skip that bit yeah. Yeah. read the first one read the last one don't read the rest um, but yeah it's it's been an experience and I think one of the things I'm really proud of is it started conversations I'm really proud that and again this wasn't intentional at all but I'm really proud that it's enabled me to be more open mm. and it's enabled people to sort of even just start conversations with me or other people about the topics in the show and the book you must have had quite a few people sort of come up to you uh, you know relay their own story or, yeah. or you know or I imagine it's the sort of the sort of text that, that does help some people find their voice as well I hope so because yeah. you've been that, that frank and that honest um, Nafisa Hamid Birmingham based performer and I always say this she once said to me about you write for the person in the room who needs to hear it the most and I took that to heart and I think again that's what mm. it's about for me mm. because I've, I've been in spaces where someone said something I thought oh my god that's just what I need to hear and I love the fact that hopefully with the book and the show I'm saying the same stuff you know you kind of for me it's about writing what you like Sounds of the City is a great example I read that so I wrote that poem in a coffee shop in Derby I was going through some stuff and so was two of my closest friends and I just needed advice as I need to get something that tells me it's going to be okay yeah and that came out of that but it wasn't kind of a thing, oh, I'm going to sit and write a mental health poem. Like, it wasn't <laughs> intentional. It was just, right, I need to get this out of my head because otherwise I'm going to scream at somebody. Yeah, <laughs> I think that comes through in your, in your poetry, though. It's, it's not it's not premeditated, a lot of it. It's just sort of, again, it goes back to that sort of being frank. It, it's, yeah. it's sort of, you imagine it pouring out of you onto the page. Comedy uh, and, and poetry is, is this sort of dilemma throughout the show slash book, hence the title. Um, I mean... Can you elaborate a bit more just for anyone who's, who's not seen or read it, uh, what the show is about and how you came to that title? Because we've had, uh, I've had uh, Luke Wright, for example, on Brilliant. here, who's a, you know, a lot of comedy in his poetry. Leanne, we were just talking about, you know, she, she has funny moments in her poetry. And I think some people, I mean, they're wrong, but some of the snobby people in the poetry world, they, they, they think there's That's no... That's one of them now. <laughs> 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 they, they think there's no place for comedy. Yeah, yeah. they've just lost it over there with the glass. Um, <laughs> But there certainly is, and, and but yours seems to be more towards comedy poetry. Like, I mean, it is on the fence, yeah. isn't it? So, well, I'll stop talking, and no, you'll no, do a better job. No, I was going to say the thing I really like to do, and again, this comes from, you know, my background is doing comedy, my background is doing theatre. It's making people comfortable. Mm. If you stand on stage and go three, two, one, and start talking about, see, they've gone again. Start talking about really serious topics. People almost kind of shy away from them. It's very difficult to stand there and go, oh, I want to talk about mental health, or this has happened, or that has happened. If you get them laughing first, mm. it kind of puts them at ease. It's that back foot thing. And again, as I said earlier, if people are laughing, you know they're enjoying it. So you get that instant, oh, okay, that's good. And when you've got them comfortable, then that's the nice way of kind of bleeding into the more serious stuff. And that's kind of, that's the way I like to be. I like to think, right, I've got them on side, and now they're comfortable, I can start talking about stuff that's 
really important to me. And that's why I think, obviously, in the, in the layout of the book, it kind of starts off quite light-hearted. I mean, yes, there's, there's, there's dips and stuff, but if you look at the sort of first half compared to the second half, there's quite a contrast in the subject matter we talk about. Yeah. You know, I talk a lot about uh, gay dating and dating in general. And, yeah, it goes from kind of silly messages and, and silly poems, but also to stuff that I've received and the abuse I've received and other people have said to me. It's, mm. it's, it's all the same topic, it's just a different shift. So genre fluid, the name, um, came from gigging in London, my first ever gig in London. Uh, I got hired to be like the token comic on a cabaret bill. And I won't tell you exactly what the host said to me after the gig, but he, he basically said, what are you doing here? I thought you was a comic. You're not a comic, you're a poet. And I said, no, no, you, you've seen me. You, you booked me. Yeah. I came down here to do your show. You know what you were getting? Oh, no, you're not a comic, you're a poet, you're not a comic, you're a poet, you're a poet, you're a poet. Bam, 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 bam. I wasn't very happy. And then um, there's a great gig in London called Queer as Jokes at the Angel Comedy Club in Islington. Amazing venue, very supportive of me. And I was sitting outside there with another comic mate of mine going, I think I'm going to call my book Genre Fluid. I think that's funny. And he said, that's good, that. And I literally went on stage and said, I'm not quite a comic, I'm not quite a poet. I think I'm Genre Fluid. And it got a good... If it didn't get a laugh, it wouldn't be the end of the book, honestly. If it didn't get a laugh, <laughs> it would no way. Yeah, it's a good, good gag. gag. It's a good gag. Uh, and it kind of stuck. So that was it. And I think from there, having that idea of not quite being one thing or another thing allowed me to look into, you know, labels and sexuality and, and gender and everything else. And it's not... I write for me. I'm not trying to write for anybody else. Yeah. But having that kind of a freeing of saying it's okay not to be this or that. It's okay not to give yourself a label. Just open the doors to talk about many different things under the umbrella of the name genre fluid. I think it's a great name and, and a good gag, as we just said. <laughs> um, something I picked up on, uh, and again, I suppose it links to the, the brutal honesty in there, is you describe yourself as a poet reluctantly yes. is, is the word you use in there um, and I think you've sort of sort of covered that but you also say uh, you give the audience a warning at one point say your poetry is a bit shit yeah definitely <laughs> um, I mean that's not true <laughs> that's not true but what is it that, that made you sort of reluctantly class yourself as a poet um, is it because you had that comic sort of history first like? it, it's again it's that thing it's stereotypes thing mm. if you say you're a poet people expect you to be a certain way based on their experiences yeah. if okay. it's, it's that whole thing Bob Monkhouse joke you're a comic tell us a joke you know you're a gynecologist look at the wife it's the same gag it's <laughs> yeah. that thing as soon as you say I'm this people go oh no you're not that because I don't think you're like that no no you can't be that because mm. in my mind you don't act that way and as soon as you say oh I'm a, I'm a comic or I'm a poet people think you're going to do a certain thing and especially with my act if you go on stage and start being serious people go hang on a second you're the comic what yeah. are you doing being serious yeah. um, and again that first poem the one called Edinburgh was written Edinburgh at goodness knows two three o'clock in the morning in a gents in the club and this guy was like what do you do and I wasn't being funny with him I was just like I do a bit of comedy a bit of poetry not got one thing or the other uh, and that's the thing it's you know and it's even on the back of the book there is there's a weird pressure in the industry especially to put yourself in a box and as soon as you say to like a marketing person or a promoter or a venue oh I'm, I'm a comic and a poet I'm not quite one or the other they just go what do we do with you yeah what do we, and I, I great story I was doing the show last year touring the show um, had a radio interview with a oh, I can't remember where it was a venue A in a town in a city <laughs> at some point last year and the first, I was on the radio talking to this guy and he said genre fluid I don't get it what, what's, what are you trying to say and that was his first question on a live radio Jesus. interview and I was like um, um, well that's the whole point it's not kind of one thing or the other so what is it then what is it? So it's, it's, that's the point. It's meant to be a bit of both. It's meant to say it's okay not to be one thing or another thing, and you can be whatever you want to be. That's kind of that's the idea of the show. Yeah, but I don't get it. I don't get it. What are you supposed to be? What are you? What are you? And I was like, 
I'm genre fluid, mate. This this is it. This is what you're going to get. I'm not going to give you any more information. Imagine opening with that. Exactly. I know. Live on the radio. Wow. Not even a 3 2 1 hello, Dan. Where nice did, to see where you. Where did he learn his journalism? Exactly. Jesus. Exactly. Um, well, I think you've done well to keep not lose your head and keep your head in, in that situation. <laughs> but um, uh, you sort of just mentioned it already. But a big part of the show is around labels. Um, certainly taught me a few new labels reading it. Um, you sort of explain. Well, you do explain what you know why labels are, are problematic. But what I like about it is um, also how you yourself admit to still using certain labels yeah. sometimes when they're the wrong label. Definitely, yeah. I mean, like I said, there's, there's been a really interesting feedback on the book about the way I talk about labels and where it comes from is because I, I struggle with them, basically. I, that's clear from the book, I think, to an extent. Yeah. But on the other hand, yeah, I use them every day. And it's not about you shouldn't use them or you should use them. It's just me saying, I don't like certain ones, but I appreciate it. if they're good for you, brilliant. I'm not going to stop any labels or help you or, you know make you change what you're saying about yourself that's fine hunky dory but for me i struggle with certain labels but at the same time as you say i use them every single day and there's there's one in there uh, emerging artist yes which, which quite made me laugh <laughs> I, I knew mean, you were gonna say that oh my goodness <laughs> i mean do you want to explain what uh, for want of a better word your beef with emerging no artists? Uh, it's not it's not with a phrase oh, i've got to be really careful now because it's not with a phrase the thing that Wine. Um, <laughs> let me let me think about what I'm going to say, and I will answer properly. No, it's cool. I have no issue with the phrase. Yeah. I have an issue with the people who decide you're that. Yeah, yeah. Um, if say, okay, you could be a painter for 40 years, and when you start making music, all of a sudden you're an emerging artist. No, mm. no, you're still creative. You're just trying something new. Yeah. And the thing that I find really frustrating is how other people give you those labels. And it's, it's in the book. Great example of being in two venues in the same space of a week. And someone saying, I'm emerging, someone saying, you know, established or mid-career. Pointless. If you want to call yourself an emerging artist, that's absolutely fine. Yeah. I have no, no beef with that at all. The thing I have beef with is people going, oh, you're emerging, because yeah, yeah. you've only done that. And I'm like, no, 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 because that for me was a massive deal. So granted, in a couple of years, I might think differently. But right now, if I say I'm an artist, I'm an artist. I'm yeah. not emerging. I'm not grassroots. I'm not fresh out the box. I'm a bloody artist. Yeah. And I think, again, it goes back to labels. It's not the labels we give ourselves, it's the ones other people give us. Yeah. And I th the thing that really ticks me off is how they change. If you look at job, uh, job interviews or, uh, sorry, job applications or opportunities, some say emerging artists only, which is fine. But then if you look at what they class as emerging, that could be really high up compared to how someone would class themselves as emerging. Yeah. And I think because they're so vague and everyone's idea is slightly different with all labels, I just sit there going, well, what the hell am I? Am I mm. established? You know, I'm 33 next week, you know, so I'm probably still an emerging poet, but in other fields, I'm more established or, dare I say, even kind of concreted in now. You yeah, know? or dab and. Eh? Exactly. Um, Don't start me on labels. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the other, the other sort of side of labels, because, you, you know, that, that's quite tongue-in-cheek, the emerging side of it, but, um, you know, you, you talk about sort of within the LGBT community as well, the, the sort of labels that some people still use in quite a sinister uh, derogatory way but you know you talk about the word queer as well yeah, yeah. you know about how that has been reclaimed in that community as a positive term yeah and I, I do still think especially teaching um things to do in pshe lessons about, about sort of the lgbt community i do still think sometimes uh people get that word confused and yeah I um, mean you're right for me and again this is in the book and I've talked about it quite a yeah. lot um, it's funny because I recently did a, a festival which I was really proud to be a part of which was the Loud and Queer Festival mm -hmm. and two years ago 
I wouldn't have probably applied for that. And I still, it's not a label I give myself. I've been, I've been to sort of queer cabaret nights and performed at queer gigs thinking I'm not queer enough to be here. You know, I'm a guy that likes guys. Um, but for me personally, it's, it's a word I've often had issue with in the past because it's been used negatively towards me. Mm. And that's the thing. And now I think the last couple of years and doing the books really helped is sort of appreciating and understanding that the usage has completely changed for a lot of people. Yeah. People are identifying as queer. And, you know, for me, it's okay to be a queer artist because that's kind of what I am, as bad as it sounds, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. But it's taken me a long time to get to that point because queer to me, to an extent, is still associated with with negative terms mm. and people calling in the street or calling at college or yeah horrific horrific stories it would be as everybody's got you know everyone's got those stories it would be nice to think that like from this point on you won't get that anymore yeah i feel like when we grew up i mean i'm not that much younger than you we're sort of similar ages you're right that that word was was loaded and and now i think through education and stuff people you know uh, i mean the the overriding thing we get said to teach about that is don't go up to people and, and call them that but if you're friends with them and that's you know what they uh, describe themselves yeah, exactly. as uh, but it's nice to think from that moment on or from this moment on we, you're not going to have that anymore but you also talk about you know the, the label gay and how that is still used in a derogative manner so yeah. it kind of makes me think ah when, it's when frustrating, yeah. yeah. We, we've got a long way to go, and I think, you know, goodness, you're seeing it now, as even as we're speaking, there's all this stuff going on, you know, and I think you're right, it's better than it was, and it's, it's great to see, especially younger people who are sort of claiming their identity and claiming words that have had negative pretexts and context in the past, that's really fantastic to see, but for me, especially at the time, oh yeah it was just weird like being introduced as oh, a queer artist and whether mm. and you just go straight back to someone shouting queer in a yeah. nightclub or queer walking home or queer leaving college and that word is completely different now but it does still at times go oh no, no, no I'm not queer no, I'm not queer mate not queer no it's not for me mate and you think, yeah all the stuff I do is, is very queer art there's a wonderful really short poem called Wonderful yeah. Wonderland the, yeah uh, Wonderland, Wonderland. Um, which I think sort of captures what you're talking about the moment Completely, you yeah. kind of ex- accept you know that label and you, you've sort of gone the whole length um, yeah I thought that was a great great yeah and poem. again it's, everything's true in the book uh, you know it, it, and Wonderland's a great poem I was doing a gig you know um, work for a company in Nottingham a lot of Nottingham with this goodness gracious <laughs> um, they dropped me off at a certain supermarket I won't name on a podcast just in case but yeah I went in to get a bottle of water and yeah as you say there was a lad in the mirror with all his kind of female friends around him trying on makeup mm. and the reason I love that poem and I, I love that story is because that wouldn't have happened five years ago yeah you know even maybe three years ago it, there was a point I mean you just talk about new romantics and, and boy and all that completely valid I'm not for a second saying this is a new issue or a new thing but there's some parts of the world, probably less now, but still some, where if you saw someone who identifies as male or is presenting masculine trying on makeup in a supermarket out in public, someone might take offence or take a swing at him. Mm. And the fact that they felt so comfortable in that setting to just be themselves in front of their friends on a Saturday afternoon is just a beautiful thing. And I think that's that's where I'm trying to get to. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm trying to sort of. It's really great that younger people and other people are sort of experiencing this and identifying themselves and discovering themselves. And I'm trying to get to that, and poetry's really helped me, believe me. So I, I was really interested in the, the label side of it, as we've discussed, but I was also really interested in, in dating in 2019 mm. and, and sort of the problems it brings. And again, there seem to be two sides to the coin. I mean, you could argue they were, they were both quite negative. I mean, the, the first one is not as negative. We, you know, we talk about trying to get to know people through screens yeah. and, and this. But then... Uh, 
through the way the book's laid out with some of the you know horrendous screenshots that you've had yeah. in there um i mean what what you've written loads about it what would you say is the worst thing about dating in this day and age um so for the record i'm off the market just to clarify <laughs> in case my fellow is good, listening to this before i go any further yeah that's, that's um, good to point out that actually the, the thing that i think you know a lot again this is genre fluid is kind of the first collection the first book but i did write a lot about sort of gay dating and dating apps when I started writing because I said I'd just come out of a relationship and it was the first time, goodness, I was in a five-year relationship when I became single again, I was in my late 20s with very little hair and a bit of a belly, as you can imagine, like, you know, it's bad enough sort of meeting people in public when I put photos on the internet or on an app to say, hey, look at me, I'm available, <laughs> wasn't going to work. Yeah. Um, it's the same thing with social media, it's that hiding behind the keyboard thing, people not all people granted but some people seem to think they can say horrific things because you're behind that screen or behind that mm. keyboard behind that app and it hits really hard and there's not one person I know who hasn't got a horrific story about a dating app um, the ones in the book are all true um, you know the one I mentioned about being on a night out in Derby with some friends in the morning after getting a message from a guy who just said you know you look like an even bigger pussy in person that was disgusting and, and crushing and it's yeah. just but it's it's not that's not a rare thing you know I'm trying to think now of ones that aren't in the book and I can't think of any I'm sure there are some but again it's just that that thing people seem to be braver or seem to be less bothered to say really horrific, horrific terms about someone's appearance or their you know interests or whatever because they're behind that shield of oh it's an app that wasn't doesn't really matter because it's behind the app and yeah. I can say that and get away with it and you know, like I said I know apps grinder especially is getting a lot better I'm, I mean you know, I'm, I'm not opposed to saying that grinder had a poet, poet laureate last year and trying to get that gig myself in the future that'd be a great idea um, but yeah it's just people need and it's the same with social media it's in the book it's the same with social media people need to realize that the things you say or you type into a screen and press send can have a massive impact on someone the other mm. end who's not just seeing it as a message might be seeing it as 17 messages across half an hour or seeing it as the final straw or seeing it as something they hear every day from people they're supposed to love and love them and it's really toxic yeah and unfortunately with the way the world's going dating apps seem to be how we meet people like that now you know the idea of sitting like we're sitting down in a bar and, and going over and someone to talk talking to someone is quite alien when you can just pick up your phone and see if they're on the app and oh they're on the app so I might go hello do you want to get a drink yeah and you've just got to realise that just it's just being nice isn't it it's just being nice not being a bit of a dick definitely I do think you're right the minute it's on the screen it's, it's almost not real life yeah. to some people because um, they wouldn't dream of saying yeah, exactly. some of those things in in person another thing uh that sort of struck me re reading the book is uh, you talk about your own mental health again very honest and you at one point I think I don't think it's in a poem I think it's in one of the you sort of bits you say on stage that are typed but you say um, you know you, you know the signs to yeah. look out for with your own mental health um, which for a lot of people I think they, they don't know no. how to do that would you say uh, writing this collection and poetry in general but especially you know as you I think you mentioned it earlier being that honest getting it onto paper would you say that's helped you manage your your mental health god yes yeah. yes I'm quite a reactionary poet so if something happens I write it down because it helps me make sense of it it's you know I don't kind of sit there going oh, I'm going to perform this on stage it might get to a point where what I've written is, it's kind of like free writing I suppose what I've kind of written is is tweaked and, and polished up to become a stage poem mm. there's a load of stuff I've done that's never been performed but yeah for me it's it's really helped and I think you know like you say there is no way I don't know all the sort of triggers for want of a better phrase I have but I know for a fact after just sort of being myself for 30 odd years that if I'm not really speaking or not interacting or sort of got my eyes down or not engaging with people 
that's a problem because that's not me. Mm. You know, I've, I've sat in meetings, I've sat in offices, I've got a really close creative circle of friends who I love dearly, but I, I've kind of sat there even in their company and I thought, I, I can't speak to you right now, I don't, I've got nothing to say. And they're getting really excited about something and I'm sat there going, I'm not really bothered me yeah. That's when I know, actually, you know what, you might have to go and get some sleep or just take a few days or just go and do something you want to do for a little while and not think about work. Because again, it's in the book, you know, events management is the fifth most stressful job. It, mm. It's in there for a reason. And I'm not saying for a second all my issues are because of events management, but in that kind of, I'm talking to a teacher, you know exactly what I'm talking about. In that <laughs> high pressure environment, yeah, yeah, yeah. it can be very easy to kind of not look after yourself, just plow on regardless, and all of a sudden go, oh, actually, yeah, I don't really want to get out of bed. And I haven't got a bed for four days. Yeah that's, yeah, that's not good, is it? Or I haven't spoken to anybody for about a week. Or so, I've been putting that off and letting that phone ring or that message go unanswered because I don't feel I want to interact with people. Do you feel like the the writing, I mean, obviously it, it does help with mental health, it's just detailed, but do you feel like when you started writing, that's when you could pinpoint certain signs with, with yourself? Because I know for a fact, I mean, I've, I've got friends, you know, where the worst possible scenario has happened and they're no longer here. Yeah. I've got friends, you know, approaching 30 now and have only just started thinking about mental health. So I suppose what the, the question I'm asking is, is if people were doing something, not necessarily writing poetry, but a creative outlet in some ways, do you think that is a sort of catalyst to being able to pinpoint not every sign, but having a more awareness of your own mental health? Yeah, it's not even creative, it's just doing something you enjoy. Right. It's having that time and that, that you know, that opportunity really, yeah. whatever it is for you, to do it and not feeling bad for doing it or not feeling like you haven't got time to do it. I mean, like I said, I'm lucky because I've got a lot of very close friends and I think we probably talk about mental health more now than we have done you know, for an age, but I've still got close male friends who I didn't really talk about anything with. It's in the book, you know. Um, I told my mate I like guys, 2016 New Year's Eve. Mm. Known him since I was seven. And we just never had that conversation. And the longer we didn't have the conversation, it just became more of a thing. And it's the same with mental health. The, the, the more you don't have the conversation, the bigger it becomes and the harder it is to actually go, you know what, I'm not feeling great at the minute. Yeah. And it's a bit of a cliche to say, obviously, that the male stigma, which is com- a completely a thing, I'm not saying it isn't, but it's it's not just men, I think it's everybody. And I think while we are getting better, that initial starting point is still the hardest thing. To actually say, sit there and go, you know what, actually, I need to talk to someone because I'm not great, is still one of the most difficult conversations I think anybody can have. Because it's, it's, it's horrifically difficult to admit that you need support. That, uh, that poem you mentioned there is one of, one of the poems I've got on my list of sort of ones I've picked to, to talk about later. Because I think... I mean, the thing that hit home for me when I was reading that and thought, wow, that, and you even say, oh, that got deep, don't you, yeah. afterwards, but is how your friend responded to yeah. that. Um, you know, that, that they were annoyed because they had never known you at your happiest because that whole part of your life, you, you, you know, you'd sheltered from it. Um, yeah, that was, that was a great poem. Um, Thank you. I, I really struggled with my sexuality for a long time, and I think, weirdly enough, doing the book really helped. Like, when I started doing poetry, it was the first time I was stood on the stage kind of making jokes or making reference to the mm. fact that I like guys like, I'd done comedy I'd done performance I'd never never talked about anything like that I was quite a private person quite a closed book in that respect and no pun intended um, and yeah it, it really helped me just kind of go oh I can talk about this and it's not a thing it's, it's, just, it's just what it is I think as well I mean obviously teaching at a secondary school you know you're trained to an extent on you know PSHE things and, and talking about sexuality and mental health and things like that but for 
someone who's not had to go through uh, you know that that scenario with struggling with their sexuality because as a, as a straight white man in Britain how dare you yeah you've got it, you've got it pretty <laughs> easy really haven't you but I, I think the amazing thing about uh, still learning that that poem in it is I thought to myself we, we like I would read this to a class as a teacher because it, it like I said even though I think I'm you know I've adapted through my career to to look at things in all different perspectives that really made me think wow I've had it you know it's that idea of privilege I guess yeah, with exactly. sexuality I thought well actually after reading that poem I thought I've never had to deal with that yeah. and and it was a real eye-opener so I mean credit to you thank for, you but for also the, the thing with that and I appreciate what you're saying completely but also there's a weird juxtaposition because I have privilege to be on a stage saying that yes there's yeah, a really yeah. weird like oh yeah well not everybody is lucky enough to stand there and talk about that and get listened to so I really appreciate the fact that I have got this platform I hate the phrase platform but it's you know I'm very aware that you know it, it's not a perfect book it's not answers for anything we've had really good feedback we had quite controversial feedback it's been really nice it started conversations but I'm very aware that you know it's not meant to be a guide for anything it's mm. not meant to be a guide to anybody it's it's my stories it's my poetry I think if at you one like point it, you, great. Me- you mentioned that though you say you know we've had someone say this about yeah, it so no, and you completely. say they're valid points yeah um, because it is which and again, is great but that's you're right it is a valid point and that's why it's in the book but it's not what the book's about yeah. I've had people shout to me you know you don't talk about consent in your poetry and I don't mm. and consent's very important but it's, I've got no experience of that, so I, I wouldn't, bad as it sounds, I wouldn't write about that because I can't relate to that. Yeah. So why would I stand on stage and go, right, I'm going to perform this poem I know nothing about, and you're going to listen and clap me? So yeah. It doesn't work that way yeah. for me, you know. So how hard, I mean, I think you said in the book it took you sort of three years to, to, to get it on on the stage or the page, as it were. I mean, I mean what was that process like? Was it, was it sort of bitty, like you'd do bits here, bits there, or... or were, was it quite an, a natural thing because it was so truthful? Um, yeah, so obviously with the background doing comedy and poetry, obviously by the time the book came out, I had four or five 20-minute headline sets. And so really what the book became, if you do, the reason the book is in sections, not to hopefully spoil it for anybody, but it is it is 20-minute chunks. The mm. idea is that it's, you know, you might... And I don't, I don't really do it this way now because obviously when I do shows I kind of do a selection of the book and some new stuff always trying to do new stuff where I can if I've got new stuff which is a whole separate conversation (laughs) but the idea is that originally the sections in the book were what I'd write on my hand or write on a bit of paper which is the set list so you know you you might see poems about boys which is a 10 to 15 minute chunk of jokes and stories which I might do if I've got a 15 minute set or I might do as you know the opener to a half an hour set so in terms of having content for the book, yes, there's new stuff written for it, but it was kind of fully formed. I think the thing that I found difficult was how I turn me going to a gig and, and speaking on stage into a microphone into this this polished thing, which yeah. is eight ninety nine. You can buy it and keep it forever. I mean, I was lucky. Like I said, Big White Shed saw me in July at a gig in Nottingham. Uh, I met them for a cup of tea in September to talk about the idea I thought it was going to be one of 12 conversations it was going to be you know loop-de-loop red lines red tape everything and they said no we'll do it end of the what do you want to do end of the meeting they said yes uh, I went to in good company at Derby Theatre who have been amazingly supportive big house again who gave us I don't like talking about money but they gave us some pocket money so we could pay the publisher a correct amount it wasn't kind of for a couple of beers and a pack of crisps it was what they should be getting as a professional publisher mm. that put the ball in rolls at wheels in motion and then and then Derby Book Festival said oh we understand you've got a book coming out hold off releasing it come and do your book launch as part of our festival in June 
and then we'll do a book launch for you. So that gave us a deadline, which was great to work towards and work backwards, because I need deadlines, deadlines is my thing. Right. And then it became, right, get off your backside. You've got eight months to put a book together, get writing, get, you know, get performing and get things done. And I think the final draft went in April. And there, I mean, it's just there's achievement on your part because they're quite a renowned press, especially in these parts, aren't they? Uh, yeah, no, White. definitely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Big White Shed, a bit. Okay, very spot of me, very spot of not Nottingham poets. Um, but again, just the fact anybody, you know, it's it's not in the book annoyingly. And I never name names, but I was once told by a publisher a long time ago, "Who's going to buy your book? You're not even on Twitter." And I remember walking out of that meeting just feeling about, you know, three, yeah. three centimeters tall. Um, but again, to give them the credit that gave me a kick at the backside I needed because I wasn't on Twitter and I was rubbish at social media mm. and I'm not great now but it's every negative comment or every negative kind of thing has kind of spurred me on to go right okay I'll show you yeah. um, we had a, a very well known LGBT bookshop that were very nameless I might tell you off the mic if you're lucky but no no um, I wanted my book in their shop it was a lifelong dream of mine to get something of mine in their shop and they sent me a lovely message saying thank you we have a lot of interest understandably um, you know we can't find your book on Kindle we can't find your website so we're going to pass because we can't find you we, we can't gauge how popular your work is going to be because your internet presence isn't great yeah. and at the time I was furious but on the back of that I got a website done I got the book on Kindle it gave me a kick at the back Side, but at the time I was yeah. effing and jeffing and grumbly grumbly because I was like, how, how dare you tell me how to do this successful bookshop? How dare you? <laughs> uh, so we need to talk about the layout, really. Yeah. It, it is quite unique. Um, uh, and the, the layout of this collection of poetry includes, as we've mentioned, your sort of slides that you show. Um, and as I've already said, it gives it this, this live feel. Uh, I was saying to Leanne off mic before, before you turn up that I haven't seen the show and I would love to see the show uh, if it does continue touring after uh, COVID. Um, but I said, the way it's laid out makes me feel like I've, you still get that live show Thank feel you. reading it. Um, and it also reminded me a little bit of Dave Gorman. I mean, I'm probably not the oh, first wow. person to say that. No, but, you are. That's oh, wonderful. Thank yeah. you very much. I'll take that. The Thank whole, you. The whole being funny, witty, clever, but with a slideshow to back it and up. And a beard. <laughs> the beard helps as well. But no, I, I did get that feel. Um, was it important to you to, to keep that show feel when you were putting the book together? Yeah, so the idea with the book, and again, this is, this is one of the reasons why it's set out the way it is, as you say, was to get it as close to seeing the show as possible. Mm. So, and again, you know, I'm notorious when I do rehearsals for different shows, I draw all over scripts. So that's why the book cover is a notepad, it's got, you know, coffee stains and ink yeah. splotches and doodles, and I've done all the doodles. And the idea was when you pick up the book, the idea is you pick up my rehearsal notes for doing the show. Ah, so okay. when you read it, the only thing different is you don't hear my voice when you're reading it. That's the idea. So it's meant to be as close as. So all the lines are the same. All the scre- also the screenshots are slides we use in the show. Yeah. So there's a sort of a, a TED Talk, but not a TED Talk presentation PowerPoint, which goes all the way through it. All the pictures are the same. All the poems are the same. And so the idea is, yes, it's they are meant to be one thing. Yes, it's a book and a show, but they're meant to be exactly the same. Well, no, we can get them anyway. I think you've pulled it off Thank uh, you very amazingly. Much. Uh, so, as I said, I like to pick out a couple of poems um, that were sort of stand out for me. Still learning. We, we've sort of spoke about, um, and you spoke about that, filth. Yeah. Um, that one has me laughing a lot more than it probably yes. should. Um, um, I mean, there's a story behind that. Yeah, so it's not my finest hour. Um <laughs> How can I tell this story? It's weirdly kind of my boss at the Times story because they did get me out of that and I'm very grateful. So um, again, never naming names, I was hosting a family fun day in Derby and it's really tricky because it sounds, oh yeah, so to stress, 
the police were amazing. Yeah. They came across, they bought the van, they bought some police officers. They were like, they were there doing, obviously keeping an eye on things. And the idea was their presence at this family fun day was to tell the people of Derby that police are approachable and they're nice people. And if there's anything wrong, you can go to them. Mm. I thought that's a great idea, great idea. I wasn't at my best, I wasn't at my best. And in full costume, I walked on stage and said, behave yourself, the filth are here. And it's funny because I didn't realize how bad it was until I saw my mate go, <gasps> and I kind of went, what? And she was just like, oh. And then obviously I, I went to speak to the, um, the head policeman, police yeah. person, police officer, and they, they expressed the fact they weren't very happy, which is completely their right. And I felt awful about it. And I didn't host for this today because I was devastated because they were so good to us. And so, yeah, they'd done so much to support the event. Mm. And the first thing I'd done when I opened my mouth was greatly offend all of them there. So not my finest hour, but, um, as I always say, as bad as it sounds, I got a really good poem out of it. I was going to say, yeah, it made, it made an excellent poem. Um, I mean, that is one of the poems where I, I was laughing out loud reading it, but I also thought, oh, like, I, I could feel the, the tension of you on stage. It, it's horrific, Wesley. And yeah, I didn't quite get arrested thanks to my boss, but goodness <laughs> gracious me, I came close. Uh, um, Child yeah. of the 90s, I yeah. really, enjoyed, really enjoyed that one. Uh, and Some People Never Learn yeah. um, it was another sort of standout one for me. Um, but as I said, I really did feel like I'd seen the show after reading it as Thank well. You. Um, so uh, everyone that's listening needs to go out and, and get a copy of it. It's funny you mentioned Child of the 90s because, again, that's not only about moving forward but looking back as mm. well. And, you know, with no disrespect to what's happening, especially with RuPaul's Drag Race now, but there, there seems to be an element of people who sort of use that as gospel and go to that and don't realise all the stuff that's gone before. Yeah. And I think that the really scary thing is, is as much progress as the community's making, we can't forget our history. Yeah. And I think that's that's what the poem's about to me. So I'm, I'm saying to people, saying to the, the person the poem is, is mentioned, you know, oh, it's this relaxed Frank goes to Hollywood. What's that? And mm. you just go, Frank goes to Hollywood. Yeah. And you think, you know, Divine, Lee Bowery, Boy George, you know, Marilyn, all these amazing icons, not to mention like Lydia Savage and Ed, Edna Everidge and all these kind of people who were there when I was growing up, like even Pulp for God's sake, just people don't necessarily look back as much as they should. Yeah. And I think what I've been really keen to do in my work and especially in my personal life as well is make sure that I sit out <laughs> introduce my fella to George Foreman yesterday, who's not a queer icon by any means, but I was like, this is really good. It's really filthy. Listen to it. You'll love it. You'll love it. You'll love it. It's really, really funny, crude humor. It's tongue in cheek. Get it down here. Um, yeah, because it's like, otherwise you lose it. Yeah. It's, like, it's amazing stuff, some of that. Definitely. Talking about your writing process then, because it would be very interesting to see writing something like genre fluid, how it compares to, I don't want to say page poet, because I think, you know, poetry, if it's good, it works on the stage as well as on the page. Um, but you know what I mean, yeah. how how that compares. When, so what sort of writer are you? are you? Are you like a prolific writer? Do you write in bursts or... Do you set aside time sort of daily to write? I mean, you're shaking your head. Does so. anyone set aside time? <laughs> well, some, I've heard all, so many people who say that. I've never actually met anyone has. Does anybody, I mean, oh, if they do, fantastic. Well done. All power to them. I've never sat down and thought, I will write for an hour. Um, I wish I bloody could. I am quite, yeah, it's the burst thing. Mm. If something happens, I write it down. Um, I always worry about running out of steam. Like, if it's, if it's not finished in that kind of bracket, it's never going to be finished. I've got half a COVID poem on my computer, which I'm really happy with the first part, and the second part is just rubbish. Right. And every time I come back to it, it's always rubbish. So I've got maybe 12 lines that I really like and nothing else that's any good. Um, yeah, it's, it's that reactionary thing. I like to sort of get things down. I've got a lot of, write a lot on my phone, quite like a fan of like, okay, bang, 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 make yeah. notes. Uh, or either like with the funnier stuff, it's writing down the joke 
or writing down kind of a pathway to where I want to get to. But yeah, things like, um, you know, Friend of Dorothy is a great example uh, in the book, which that poem was written the same afternoon as that happened, meeting that person in costume, saying you must be a friend of Dorothy, him reacting quite rightly, negatively, awfully to it, terribly to it, and then working with him for the next seven days at a Christmas gig a couple of years ago and having to kind of just go, you're right, yeah, good, have a good day, yeah, that's (laughs) fine. Um, So when you approach a poem, it it sounds like it's very much based on almost real life events most of the time. Yeah, mostly. And again, not everything is. I mean, yeah, I've been lucky enough to get some commissions. I was asked to write a poem for Pride Month for BBC Radio Derby about what's happening now, what's been happening, especially in June, with the Black Lives Matter protest and everything else, and that you know, while that was my opinion, it was a very serious piece, understandably. So I quite like, I like the sort of the guidelines. I like being given, we want you to write about this, or this is your kind of theme. That really helps. But in terms of me, yeah, another plan and sort of I'm going to write today. Uh, I wish I wrote more. I think mm. I've written maybe two or three things in lockdown that I'm happy with. Um, you know, I was working on a new collection before this happened. I didn't know if it was going to be a show or a book yet, because again, I'm still trying to work out what it is. Yeah. But yeah, so I was writing quite a bit. Before this happened, I had a half-hour slot booked in for Nottingham Poetry Festival to do half an hour of new stuff, you know, to say, right, there's your challenge, there's your deadline, new stuff. Um, and obviously, when all this kicked off, it didn't happen. I kind of went, you know what, I'm not in the best place to write at the minute. I'm going to just put that over there. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's reactionary. It is just, it's never kind of planned. It's normally, that's happened, or I feel this way about that, and I just need to get it out. And if that becomes a poem I do on stage, fantastic. If that becomes just a load of rambly notes that I kind of get my head around it or help me feel a different way about something, fantastic. If it literally is written out and then deleted off my computer and never thought about it again, fantastic. But it's never, it's never planned. I find myself, uh, as I've said many times on the podcast, but um, the editing side of it to be, to be you know, the harder part. And you said. A moment ago, you know, you're happy with the first, say, 12 lines of this COVID poem you're writing, for example. So, what was, what does your editing process look like? Um, what's if you've written something but you know it needs work? What is sort of the first thing you'll do? Try it out so as much, much as I can. Out, Obviously, out tricky now, in, in yeah. But even just, you know, Derby and Nottingham are two. I mean, to be fair, the East Midlands has got a great scene, but especially in Derby and Nottingham there's so many chances to go and just do five minutes on an open mic uh, either yeah sending it to mates find mates who will tell you the truth mm. don't send it to people who are going to go it's amazing uh, my friend Chris who's my stage manager for all these shows has seen genre fluid more than anybody else at uh, long suffering creative if I've got a crappy poem he will tell me it's a crappy poem right. and that's great because it goes to him if it's terrible it never goes anywhere else so it's not going to be like me on stage going I've got a new poem <laughs> and it's amazing yeah, yeah. and people are like oh it's really not yeah so out loud to people you trust um, you know in like a, a writing workshop because even just have you got five minutes to read this please someone's you know opinion who you respect I've just written this can you have a look at it yeah. if it's bad please tell me and yeah so I mean it's not very often for me but it's funny you mentioned about editing because I'm, I'm doing a second edition of the book as we speak and the thing that's amazed me is not to take anything away from the books I'm very proud of the book and happy with the book but the lines in the middle of the poems have changed dramatically in mm. a year of touring it so what I say in, in the book which is kind of you know not the gospel way but was the way it was when the show started touring yeah. and the book came out all the stories are the same but they're different and right. reading it through I'm going oh I don't say that anymore I'll say that or I'll say that line there or that's and it's nothing major but it's amazed me how I've done the same show and we did 23 tour dates last year and you'd th- in theory it should be the same show every night with yeah. the same performer with the same slides but it's changed gradually and steadily and some of the stories are just 
the same stories but told differently. It's that audio history thing. Yeah. That's cool though. So you, were you releasing a second edition? We were going to do it September before this kicked off. Um, it will come out because I want to get it out there, but goodness knows when. There you go. Something to look out for. I ask this all the time and, and most people, I already know what you're going to say, but I think it's a good question to ask. How do you know when a poem's finished? Um, so the obviously the answer is it's never it's finished. Never it's yeah, never yeah, finished. Yeah. But that's not a bad thing. No, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, like, for me, I've, you know, in that book, there's poems that are four years old. There's poems that are were written for the book. Um, I said to Leanne, I'm going to rephrase that question okay. next and, and, and say, how do you know when to leave a poem alone? Like, yeah, I think that's a better, better question, because, yeah. again, for me, not to sound cocky or horrible, but there's poems I do in that show and poems I've done previously that I think I know how to do that now, down to the pause or the gap or mm. the line or the look or when to do that and when to do that. And that doesn't mean it's finished, but it means it works on stage. Yeah. And for me, I'd much rather have a poem that works on stage than a poem that's finished. Yeah. Because it's always going to change. You know, it's funny you mentioned the second edition. We've taken all the dates out. Right. Because, of course, a lot of it's 2018, 2019. And when you read it now, it just, it ages the book. It's mm. really weird. I never thought about it before. It, just, it, it pinpoints it somewhere and it should be more ethereal. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. That's interesting. Never thought of it like that before. Like, you know, if, if you are mainly writing for the stage, yeah. that's somewhat different than writing for the page, for want of a better phrase again. How, I mean, when you're writing it, do you do, I mean, you sort of answered it just then, but are you conscious of what it's going to sound like on the stage more than in the print edition? Um, so when we got the book, the hardest part for me was turning it from, this is a load of notes that I do on stage, into a book because they were like, uh, what font do you want? No idea. Yeah. What gradient of paper? No idea. Who's going to do your cover? No idea. Um, for me, the, the thing I've really, because it's funny you mention that, because again, when I was, when I started doing this more than I used to, I started trying to write what I thought people wanted to hear. And that's the death now, because you don't write anything decent. You kind of, I, well, I didn't write anything decent. And I got to a point of trying, oh, I'm going to write about that, because I think that will go down well in the room and I was only writing trash. Mm. And I think the thing I'm really aware of, it's not necessarily about whether it's gonna be a page poet. Because again, I still think I'm a, I'm a spoken word artist. Yeah. I, I'm, a, I'm a stage guy, I've got a book, but I've, I'm a stage guy. And it's, it's, for me, it's about writing what I wanna write about and saying what I wanna say. The audience in that regard are secondary. You know, they're very important and without them, we'd be performing to an empty room, which is what I've been doing for the last four months in lockdown anyway, <laughs> bless them. And at Edinburgh, which is a conversation. But um, the first thing is, are you happy with what you're writing? Can you stand by it? Can you defend it? And there's an old theatre adage, if you don't believe what you're saying, get off the stage. Mm. So it's for me, it's about, I want to talk about this. And then everything else is secondary. And I think you're right. The thing I really worried about when I had the book and when it came out, and the one thing I was very aware of, and one of the reviews said this actually, it's, does it transfer? Do you get that, you know, you see me on stage, wonderful, I'm glad you enjoyed it, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. If you then buy the book, do you lose something in that delivery? And that's why I was quite keen to an audiobook I'm trying to work on as well. The yeah. idea that you get both, you get my voice and my delivery, but it's in a book. And the one thing I was very worried about, as I said, was just, if it does it transfer? Does the humour translate to page poetry? Because it's so crafted on stage in a room full of people, hopefully. 
I mean, for what my opinions were, I do think you've probably. No, I appreciate it. Thank you. It means a lot. Thank you. The way it's laid out, and like, I, I, well, when people say I was laughing out loud, I was the the poems. That that's the nicest thing people can say because I love them. People say, "Oh, I've read it and I laughed out loud at it. I laughed on the train. or I laughed on the bus." But it made me want to see you do it live. Like I still got the live experience, but it it, it did make me think. Right. I mean, are you going to carry on touring it after? Yeah. So um, I wasn't going to. As bad as it sounds. No, no. We we had seven. You know, it's funny. I've been saying that we're going to finish this show for probably about six months now. <laughs> we did Derby Poetry Festival in November, and I was like, end of the tour, homecoming gig, last time to see. And then I was like, oh, I really enjoy doing this show. Yeah. And then we had seven tour dates booked between March and May this year. Obviously, didn't go ahead, and they've all kind of... It's up to me. Yeah, they're all on hold. The venues have been great, and it's up to me. Um, I was very keen to write something else, but I think one of the only good things about lockdown and quarantine and all this COVID stuff is the digital aspect I've put a lot of effort into trying to you know find digital ways to get my work across and the show's had this weird resurgence of people discovering it yeah. and going oh that's really good are you doing it live again so I think well if you if I you know if you'd asked me if I'm doing it again maybe at the start of all this going oh, I'm good done I want to write something else I want to write something else now I'm like yeah I think I wouldn't You've mind doing this new audience yeah sort of I wouldn't mind doing a couple yeah. of things because again that's you know I'm, I'm really trying to and it's the thing I'm not great at so far it's just that digital output it's it's creating work in this situation when it is just a microphone and a camera in a, you know, against a backdrop. So, yeah, I think I'd like to do it again. Goodness knows when. But, yeah, I think do it, maybe a couple, maybe a couple. Well, I'll be there. I'll, I'll Thank come, you. I'll come and seek it out. I'd love well, to see Well, we were going to do um, the Etcetera Theatre in Camden was one of the, the seven that got cancelled. That was, that was the big London gig that I got booked for two nights. There we go. Two nights they booked me for. It was crazy. I was like, bloody hell, you've got a lot of confidence. Um, yeah, that would have been, it was going to be like May. Yeah, it was the last It was the last night of the May tour was Camden, etc. Theatre, you know, free digs, it's great. Around yeah, the corner, say, get some place, sleep. Good place for a drink afterwards uh, exactly. as well. And then it was going to be September, and of course it's not going ahead, which is fine. But that, to me, was one of the first times I went, goodness, a London theatre's mm. booked me. And that's, you know, that's not being cocky, but that's unheard of for me. You know, I'd be happy to get a gig in Leicester, let alone bloody London, yeah. so... Well, if you get it, if you get back in London, then I've got, definitely got no excuse. No, but yeah, I'll, I'll I mean, like I said, they've all all seven that were booked are happy to honour them. It's whether I want to do it because again, I think you know, it's that thing of as much as I love the show, and I'm very proud of the show and the book, and I love doing stuff like this. I really appreciate your time, as I said. It's the shelf life thing. Yeah. It's how long, realistically, can I keep doing this show without people going, seeing that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's good, but I've seen that. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you've generated a new audience during lockdown, so it might be worth, like you said, one one final sort of tour. Maybe. Um, I mean, I hope so anyway. But oh no, I will, it'll it'll happen again. Trust me, it'll happen again. So a question, uh, as you know, as a regular listener, that I like to <laughs> end on. <laughs> I'm going to keep bringing that up. Please do, please do. <laughs> um, when I started, when I started the podcast, I mean, it was two reasons. The first reason was. Uh, I mean, my love of poetry, being an aspiring poet myself, but wanting to show that poetry can have a much broader audience than it's got, trying to break down the sort of elitist barriers around it. But also because at the time I started it, there were lots of reports in the press about uh, the rise in poetry sales and how a lot more young people were, were turning to poetry, which to me was quite unusual, even as a you know poetry lover, I thought, well, that's odd. So the question is, and it's a broad one, what's your personal take on that? Why do people turn to poetry still in 2020? It's the most honest, creative medium. Um, you know, I said before, my background is theatre. Yeah. You can do a theatre show for six weeks, every night in the same venue, 
and you get a different show because the actors are different even with the same lines and also the thing I love about theatre and performance in general is you can do the same show but because their own experiences everybody in that theatre will react to it and appreciate it differently because of what they've been through themselves so even though it's the same show with the same cast and the same props and the same set it's a different show yeah music same thing people put their own emotions and histories onto music and they cling to it and that's why people have got such strong memories associated with songs of albums or artists uh, Leander's a great poem about being at a gig and I can't think who the band on she's going to kill me but it's a beautiful poem about being at a gig with a mate and associating that music with I think she said earlier it might she be, would have done and I just can't Park. think is it Lincoln Park no, no. She's, but it's she's a really good Lincoln poem Park. it's a really really good poem is the one in her uh, new collection yes I think yes. so yeah. uh, it, was in the, um, it was in the show she did as well it begins with you doesn't it it's like unbreakable on that's I'll really bad because I've just, I I just know, spoke know, to her as well. I've just spoke um, to her. But yeah, we spoke about that poem. Yeah, yeah but basically, poem. yeah. So it's, but the thing with music, with film, with theatre, it's all the same. That's not fair. It's not all the same. You get that same connection to it. But with spoken word and poetry, it's one person. Yeah. And if it's sp- spoken word, if it's live, it's one person behind a microphone sharing their soul, telling you more about them that you wouldn't know, maybe lo- having known in 20 years, you know. And that's the thing. For me, there's no medium quite like it. I've been to open mic gigs, right? And I've sat there, and in the first act, I've seen someone who's maybe cry, maybe laugh, maybe think, has changed the opinion of what I think about or changed something I think about. And that's what I love about poetry, because it's so raw Mm. and honest and effective in that respect. And I think that's what you don't get with other shows, other creative stuff. Yeah. Music to an extent, because if it's one artist who has done the instruments and the lyrics, granted. But again, you think theatre, film, they're massive entities. They are huge productions, whereas spoken word and poetry, page or stage, it is one person writing one thing, and you get that connection with them, and they just let you in. And it's, oh, beautiful. Life-affirming. Where can people check you out this is this is your your technological bit oh here we go um so i'm on all the usuals Uh, i'm dan weber spoken word on facebook i'm dan underscore weber underscore poet on twitter i'm i'm genre fluid on instagram and my website is i'm genre fluid dot com and they can get copies of genre fluid yeah either through the website or big cartel or by big white shed august drop me a message on something and we'll sort it out yes i highly 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 recommend genre fluid through big white shed grab yourself a copy if you can i'm sure i'm almost guarantee once you do and you read it you'll want to see it live as well thank you so much for joining me no, thank you really enjoyed your time and yet again not in next the, time in Camden we'll next, time, next in Camden. time in Camden yeah although the Midlands I keep saying all these poets and competitors we run a writing challenge during lockdown and all the winners that we kept picking were Derby Nottingham Derby, as it should Nottingham. be because we're awesome that's there right. we go so I do enjoy coming up here so I didn't mind it um, and obviously as a big listener of the podcast you've enjoyed it never well. miss it <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much Dan it's been brilliant thank you this episode's recital comes from Dan and he kindly recited a poem called Wonderland taken from his genre fluid show. This is called Wonderland. Teenage boy applying lip gloss in a supermarket mirror. So he called me queer and I was like, yeah, and? His friends giggle like it's no big deal. Stealing from the samples, they trade eyeliners. And ever so slightly... The world changes.
Big thank you to Dan for getting involved. I think we've converted him to a People's Poetry Podcast listener, I hope. And a big thanks to Nottingham for being glorious. A massive thank you, as always, to you at home for listening. If you've enjoyed the show, please do share it with a friend. You can find us on Instagram, at People's Poetry Podcast, over on Twitter, at People underscore Poetry. You can find us on Facebook, People's Poetry Podcast. I'm on Twitter, jbo, that's J-B-O, Pens Poems. And you can email us if you want to get involved with the show, if you're a poet yourself and you'd like to sit down and chat, or if social media just don't cut the mustard and you want to get in touch, it's peoplespoetrypodcast at hotmail.com. 